Well, that was the opening music to On Her Majesty's Secret Service, released in 1969. And it's the sixth in the James Bond series of movies. And it was the first and only movie that George Lazenby starred as uh, James Bond. And it also stars Diana Rigg, Telly Savalas, uh, Bernard Lee, Gabriel Frazetti. Is directed by Peter Hunt, and it was produced by Harry Salzman and Albert Broccoli. This is our third uh, James Bond movie, and we wanted to... I'd never seen On Her Majesty's Secret Service, so I was just interested to see what it was like to have um, a different actor that I'd never seen as James Bond uh, play that character. And and I, I really liked him, actually. I thought he did a good job. And then I started reading the reasons why he didn't make more movies, and... He was originally contracted to do seven James Bond movies, but uh, for various reasons decided that he didn't want to do any more after this first one that he did. Yeah, I have a story about that when we get further into the podcast <coughs> that I got from a, a, a gossip cool. session with my uh, retired actor friend. <laughs> oh, nice. Can't wait. That's good. A teaser. That's better than reading teaser. it on the internet. <laughs> Yeah, and you're listening to Classic Movie Reviews, and you can find us on the internet at ClassicMovieReviews.net and on Patreon. Just go to Patreon.com slash Classic Movie Reviews. And I'm Matt Johnson coming to you from sort of uh, partly cloudy, maybe some sun, maybe some rain kind of day here in North Bend. And this is Bob Johnson here in Los Angeles welcoming everybody back to Classic Classic Movie Reviews and on Her Majesty's Secret Service. Fun movie. And and the, the, the man that plays James Bond, George Lazenby, is, is a big person. As, as he was walking in the crowds and all, yeah. he really stood out. I think he was, I think he is, he's still alive. I think he's six foot five or something like that and about 2.30 at the time he made the film. And they was he was selected from a group of candidates, I read, um, and, and they saw him doing some commercials. And he'd never acted in a film before this, for this movie, before this one. He had a great screen presence, like a physical screen presence. And the way that they choreographed some of the fight scenes was pretty interesting with like these really quick jumps and uh, jump cuts. It was pretty physical, you know, like he was, he was getting in there and beating up all these bad guys. (laughs) (laughs) He had no trouble doing that either. Although the the one uh, fight scene near the beginning of the film when he uh, uh, fights it out with that bodyguard to D- Diana Rigg. That was a well done uh, that was a well done scene. I think uh, I also read that the director Peter Hunt had worked on the previous uh, Bond films and, and everybody liked the way he cut and edited the film and set it up and they offered him this chance to direct this film and then after this film, he never he never worked on any more James Bond films. It's kind of an odd one for James Bond, just for these reasons. It, it doesn't really uh, fit with some of the other ones. I also read that it's one of the more realistic portrayals of Bond in terms of his character, as, as more of a human being and, and not so much as almost like a superhero. And... Unfortunately, I had the I had the ending spoiled for me because I, I I didn't realize that that ending and and I I don't know I don't I kind of don't want to talk about the very okay. end of the movie because I think if you haven't seen this and you uh, want to go into it kind of to get the full effect I would say um, yeah don't don't go on to IMDb or uh, Wikipedia or anything and just just watch it from the beginning and and uh, just enjoy it but it does portray him a little bit more like uh, like what I would think a real spy would be like in terms of he, he's not always super sure of himself and he he doesn't always seem to have the answer in terms of how to solve the puzzle that he's in there's that scene where he was captured from trying to escape the lair at the top of the mountain and then they stuck him in that room with all those gears that run the cable car and he almost died like three times thank heavens he thought <laughs> To take the pockets out of his pants so he could use them as gloves. Yeah, totally. I do that agree with you, though. We should not we should not go into the ending because I had not watched the film since uh, I first saw it in the theater back in 1969 uh, or 1970, maybe. And uh, 
I, I was surprised at, at how much of that film I had forgotten. It's almost like, of all the Bond films, this is the one that's kind of one-off. It's like they decided they might try for number six for this film some different things. It was a first-time director, first-time yeah. leading actor. Uh, it just it was it it placed the music was a little different. differently they did some different camera work like they had some mm -hmm. slow-mo scenes and um some of the yeah some of the editing was different than than i remember other bond movies having and um they they uh they portrayed the main character kind of opposite him played by diana rigg um who is the contessa teresa di vincenzo yeah. or tracy <laughs> as they call her <laughs> but she was a really big part of the film and she really uh, got in there and kind of mixed it up with some of the bad guys too and she was a great uh, car driver wow she she could really handle that cougar yes that red that cougar that she drove i i read that uh, she was uh, added or selected for that role so they could have a, a very experienced actor play opposite uh, lazenby because this was his first film and I think that helped a lot, that she had all that previous experience, both in theater, TV, and other films. And she'd been in The Avengers, so she'd, she'd already played like a spy. <laughs> My favorite show from the 60s. I would never miss that. I think they had like, let me see, from 1961 to 1969, they had 51 episodes. I've watched every one of those, I'm sure. I just, they were so unique. Oh, yeah, those are great. So unique. Yeah, and... They got they got better when she was on the show. I thought she she really brought something to that show. Um, I really liked her in this movie. I thought she added another dimension to it that made it way more enjoyable than if she'd not been there. I think Nancy and I had the uh, opportunity to watch her a few months back in her last role at the, the uh, television series All Creatures Great and Small that's been brought back on. PBS, a British BBC and PBS, and she plays um, a character in the first season of that. And uh, it was shortly after that was produced that uh, she passed away. She had a long career. She did. I, I didn't realize that she was in Game of Thrones. I, I completely did not recognize her when she was in that. I, I, I was reading about her and looking at some photos and. And I said, oh my gosh, yeah, I, I recognize her from Game of Thrones, but I didn't know it was Diana Rigg. I guess I never I had that same moment when I was looking up her background. She was the host on PBS for, from 1989 to 2003 for a series called Mystery, which I used to watch quite frequently. So she, she was on there for, gee, over a decade. Uh, I, I, I don't know how many films she did, but uh, it was quite a few and a lot of TV shows. Yeah, and then Telly Savalas, I thought, was good as uh, Blofeld. <laughs> I, I, I couldn't help but every time he was on the screen, think of his character on CBS as Kojak, that New York detective. Oh, it's totally. <laughs> I had the same problem, totally. And, and, and I was majorly impressed with his skiing abilities. Like, this guy was a physical specimen. No you wouldn't, kidding. You wouldn't know it looking at him, but he was a world-renowned skier, apparently, the way that he skied yes, in this movie. Uh, and, and we all know, of course, that he was the one doing the skiing. <laughs> oh, of course, of course. No, actually, they they hired like they actually hired professional world class skiers to film those scenes, and none of the actors were allowed to actually ski because yeah. of liability. It was too too expensive to insure them. Well, and the, and the slopes that they were skiing on were uh, amazing. 
There were a couple of those that looked like they were straight down. Oh yeah, you know that you know that scene where they get to that precipice and Bond is is he knocks two yes. of the guys over the yeah. edge. Appar- apparently George Lazenby had this idea that it would be really cool if he skied off the edge and then opened a parachute. But they didn't have the right equipment and they couldn't quite pull it together, but they used that later in a Roger Moore film. It was used later. I didn't know that. Wow. <laughs> yeah. I've come up with another reason why this is sort of a -a one-of-a-kind film, and then they went back to the more formula-driven. Of the first six films, this one made a lot of money, but uh, it grossed about half the amount of the earlier five films. When adjusted to current dollars, it was was the smallest gross, although it was substantial. And then uh, they they went back to the uh, Roger Moore, and, and it wasn't until 1985 when they had another film that even came close to the uh, gross on this film. So I think they might have decided, you know, we need to go yeah. back to what we started. This is fun to do, but it's quite a drop in our overall results. Yeah, it's interesting, because I think there was a general feeling that maybe Bond was on his way out in terms of a franchise. Oh, at the time. yes. That leads me into my story, yes. Oh, okay, yeah, what's your, yeah, tell us your story. There's two gossip column uh, narratives on George Lazenby in the film. The one that I think is published more frequently is that he was originally scheduled to do seven films, but his agent talked him out of doing them because the agent said, well, this film, this this kind of film is not going to do well in the 1970s. It's just, it's becoming old style and it'll become archaic. And so I'd recommend you not do that. So that's, that's story one. That's story <laughs> one. That agent. And then the story two from my friend is that apparently uh, gossip around town, uh, Mr. Lazenby got over enamored with the perquisites of the film industry and became very demanding and wanting to know all kinds of, or have all kinds of special treatment and uh, became, uh, again, I, I, I have no knowledge of this firsthand, but the gossip is that he became uh, more difficult to work with as the, as the success of the film went along in its development. So there's two different stories, probably somewhere in the middle. Although I kind of tend to believe the one about the seven uh, contract, uh, the offer of seven years and the fact that uh, we don't think it's going to do well. But it makes for a good gossip yeah, I mean, all of this is just stuff that I've read on the internet, so take it for that, for what it's worth. And uh, But I also read that he got kind of sideways with the producers, and they sort of lost their interest in having him come back as well. So it it might have been sort of a, I don't know if mutual is the right word, but they might have all just decided, you know what, <laughs> this isn't working out, let's just go our separate ways. Um, they 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 changed it up a bit. I th- I feel like with Roger Moore, where in this movie, like I was saying, it felt a lot more real. Like he he felt like a more real person to me, somebody who was a commander and you know was was doing this work for Her Majesty's Secret Service, but wasn't like this was his whole life. Like he 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 th- he even thought about quitting at one point at the beginning of the movie. That was a quick conference. How do you expect a girl to keep herself alluring? Take a memo, please, Money Penny. Ready, James. Sir, I have the honor to request you will accept my resignation, effective forthwith. Resignation from what? Her Majesty's Secret Service. And kindly present us that monument in there. And then at near the end of the movie, he says that he needs to find something else to do again. And uh, and then you bring Roger Moore in, and it's like a completely different feel to it. He's so suave, and he's so put together, and he's just, he's he's not as, I don't feel like he's as physical. He's more of a, like, I mean, he does do physical things in the movies, but I feel like he's more about thinking his way out of it versus sort of like oh, fighting his, his way he's out of more it. more sophisticated and, and uh, uh, prone to never make too many mistakes. It must have worked well. You did seven of them following this film. So. Yeah, and they were fun movies. I mean, like I, I think, like I said earlier, Moonraker is one of my favorite Bond movies just because it is so <laughs> over the top 
and and fun and goofy in some parts it's just sort of like okay <laughs> we're gonna go to space now and we're gonna have a big battle in space <laughs> i also like it because one of the, the the bad the bad guy in the film was that inspector that uh foiled the uh the assassination attempt on charles de gaulle in uh, the day of the jackal he's he was the uh, yeah, was that's never right. ending always on his on his game uh french detective so yes wasn't his name drax yes drax yes. yeah i believe so. so yeah uh but in in this movie the bad guy is blofeld and and do you know which movie they revealed his face? This wasn't the first time we saw his face. Was oh, it? I want to say it was maybe you was know, it Goldfinger? I don't remember. I think Goldfinger did have the 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 bad guy, and that was revealed. I just don't know if that was Blofeld or not. I didn't look that uh, up. Yeah, see, this is where I'm not an expert on. Everybody's yelling at the screen now, or they're. they're oh, you've Don, Donald Pleasance as Blofeld, and you only live twice. Maybe that was the first time we saw him, his face. But anyway, I, w- I was thinking that it w- this would have been an interesting movie if if we never saw his face in this whole movie. Yeah. If they would have just... Ca- I, I kind of wonder if, if this character wouldn't have been even more enigmatic and and remembered as as this ultimate villain if we'd never saw his face. And we only saw him petting <laughs> his cats. You know? And there were so many actors that played Blofeld. I don't know the number, but... I can remember another one later in the series that was Blofeld. Max von Sydow played him at some point. Oh, is that right? Oh, my goodness. Yeah, I'm looking at There's Anthony Dawson was uncredited, Donald Pleasance, Telly Savalas, Charles Gray, John Hollis uncredited, Max von Sydow, and Christopher oh Waltz. Oh, my gosh, Christopher <laughs> That's a recent one. Yeah. Well, the, the, the film uh, is, is a pretty straightforward story. I also like the fact that Bond... Teams up with uh, with uh, Diane Riggs' character's dad to save the day. A martini for our guest, Alim. A pleasure. Shaken, not stirred. Of course. A Campari for me. Mm-hmm. My apologies for the way you were brought here today. Please sit down. I was not sure you would accept a formal invitation. There's always something formal about the point of a pistol. <laughs> Uh, thank you, Sherry. Olymp, we will finish our struggle later. Hmm? As you wish. And she also plays a very good game of chess. Salute. Cheers. You usually drink Corsican brandy. Oh. What else do you know about me? Mark Arns Draco, head of the Union Courts, one of the biggest crime syndicates in Europe. The biggest? Not quite. An organization known as Spectre operates worldwide. However, your legitimate business fronts are somewhat more extensive. Mm. Construction, electrical supplies, numerous agricultural holdings. Your dossier on me is not entirely complete. I have also Teresa's father. Tracy? Yes, Tracy. Tracy. My only child. My mother was an English girl, romantic, who would come to Corsica to look for bandits. Rather like those women who ventured into the desert looking for sheikhs. She found me in the mountains, hiding from the police at the time. I came to love this girl. We married. The result, Teresa. Twelve years later, my wife died. I sent Teresa to Switzerland. No, thanks. I prefer my own. To finish her education. Unfortunately, I didn't give her a proper home. She was without supervision, so... She joined a fast international set. One scandal after another, and when I disapproved, cut off her allowance, she committed some greater folly to spite me. And yet behind her bravado, something was eating away at her soul. This can happen to men and women. They burn the heart out of themselves by living too greedily, and suddenly, Well, it's finished. Why are you telling me this? Without telling me she married. An Italian count who killed himself in a Maserati with one of his mistresses. I gave her too much. And it brought her nothing. Now, why tell you all this? I've been informed 
of everything you've done for my daughter. Everything? Don't worry. Don't worry about that. What you did, the way you behaved, might be the beginning of some kind of therapy. She needs help. Your help. I find her fascinating, but she needs a psychiatrist, not me. What she needs is a man to dominate her. To make love to her enough to make her love him. A man like you. You overestimate me, Draco. She's very attractive, but what you ask is not for me. Oh, yeah. And, and again, yeah. as I was... Who's also not a good guy. I mean, he's like a... he's He even brags that he's the biggest crime boss syndicate in Europe. Or, you know, even bigger than that, he says. The, a major crime syndicate. And, and he was offended by that. I am the largest. I remember it did that. But then, but then Bond comes back and says, "Well, actually, there's Spectre. This is worldwide." <laughs> Here again, I had another uh, uh, throwback moment when I saw uh, uh, the guy playing Draco, uh, Gabriel Frazetti. Is it? I think it is. He he played the uh, railroad baron in uh, Once Upon a Time in the West, who had on that that. Uh, that's right. Oh my gosh. That That's whole structure to hold him up because he had uh, tuberculosis and all. And then he, his his career as a bad guy in that film is ended by Henry Fonda. I've watched so many Such movies. Movie. I, I mix up characters from one film to another. <laughs> I I didn't I didn't look him up, but I was like that guy. I know I've seen him before as I was watching it. Yeah, he was he was good. He had a long career too. I didn't write, I didn't go after that one in terms of looking things up. And then I, I do want to mention, if, so I don't forget, the uh, the person, and this is a little later in the series, but the replacement for Rosa Klepp in this film turns out to be Irma Bunt, played by Azale Stepout. I, I don't know that I pronounced that correctly, but she's she's one of Blofeld's henchwomen. <laughs> she, yeah, she I, I thought her Rosa Klepp at many points in her in her portrayal. <laughs> She uh, had a, a long career, made 40 films, but died at the age of 52. This, I think this might have been her oh, last film. I, I think I read this right, that it was her only English-speaking role, because she was a German actor, right? I think. Yes, she yeah. was. Yeah, I think you're right. But I, I love it when they have these characters show up that are really, really tough. And uh, she was definitely tough. She looked tough. She was hard to kill, I tell you. <laughs> Same with Blofeld. They Same with Rosa Klepp. I love that name. Yeah, yeah. Uh, anyway, uh, <laughs> so we kind of get going on the plot when uh, Bond <clears throat> saves the day at the gambling at the gambling uh, casino by paying off the debts that the Countess uh, has run up that she can't she can't pay. Tracy's run up a lot of money. I lost a lot of money, and he saves the day. Card. Nope. Back in here. Back. Madame. She regret, Madame, but it's impossible. I regret too, but I don't have any. Forgive me. My mind was elsewhere. Madame has forgotten we agreed to be partners this evening. Please continue. Merci. They were going to meet up in his room later, but then he gets attacked yeah. by that bodyguard again and takes that guy out. And then he throws off quite a few one-liners, and there was there was a good one right there. <laughs> There's one in there that if this, this wouldn't have happened to the other fellow... This never happened to the other fella. Remember when he turns to the camera? Yeah, there's a real, like, breaking the fourth wall there. This this never happened and to the other fella. that was deliberately put in so that, that was people, interesting. So everybody would be clear that this was a break from the past. Yeah, that was interesting that they did. They, they made that choice to, to break that fourth wall like that. It kind of, it didn't bother me, though. I kind of, yeah, I kind I of laughed too. when I heard it. You know, it was like, okay, yeah. They're not going to be. They're not going to be taking this too seriously. But he he has a very uh, f um, strong fondness for the Countess Tracy, and uh, that shows up throughout the film. Yeah, because her her dad wants to um, 
pay Bond like a million dollars, a million pounds or something to basically marry her because he feels like he he could be good for her. And and in return, uh, he will tell Bond where Blo where he thinks Blofeld is. And so they kind of, I don't know, they don't actually make a deal necessarily, but Bond is like, well, let me think about it. And then, and then he goes back to London, and I think this is where he decides he's going to quit, but then um, Moneypenny saves the day and doesn't turn in the letter about quitting, but turns in one about needing two weeks vacation. <laughs> I need to get away. Uh. <laughs> and, then, and then he heads off to Draco's birthday party, where... Um, Draco's got it set up so that he and he can meet Tracy and then they have this this romance where he actually does fall I think he falls in love with her at the casino but like they really cement their relationship here and I think Tracy also starts to fall in love with Bond oh yeah Um, but then Bond Bond needs to go off to Switzerland to go to this law firm where Oh, be, oh, that's right, because Tracy makes her dad tell Bond where the Blofeld connection is because she doesn't want to be used as some pawn in this game between the two of them and is like, if you don't tell Bond, I'm going to leave and you're never going to see me again. <laughs> Thank you. Many happy returns. The best years are still to come. Let's hope. Oh, Please sit down, ladies. What are you doing here? Yes, wasn't it kind of your father to invite me? Mr. Bond and I are discussing a business deal today, sir. Really? Mm-hmm. No woman would waste this excellent champagne discussing a business deal. Unless, of course, she happened to be part of the arrangement. Olymp, what have you said? Don't blame Olymp, Papa. I'm not your daughter for nothing. Hmm, I detect a certain family resemblance. I suggest you revise the terms of your contract, Mr. Bond. You'll find your liability far too expensive. Ah, now, there you're mistaken. Papa. Yes? Mr. Bond wants some information. I wonder what you're talking about. You always taught me that a good host supplies his guests' needs. Uh-huh. And without obligation. And then? I'm not sure obligation is quite the right word. Tell him, Papa. Tell him what he wants to know. Now. Please, please, Teresa. <laughs> There's only a possibility. Nothing definite. Tell him, Papa, or you'll never see me again. <laughs> the look on the look on Draco's face is like, oh, gosh, he's got <laughs> <Yes>. me again. <laughs> I did like the, I did like the chemistry between Draco and Bond. They really seemed to I did hit too. it off. And then there was a there was a scene at the end too where where uh, Draco and and M have this little conversation and they're yes. reminiscing about some event that they were involved in and it was just funny because it again it like builds out this this world that they're living in i liked it a lot anyway it is a pleasure to meet the man who cost me three of my best operatives uh, yes november 64 the bullion job mm. you got away with quite a chunk of the hole tell me uh so i think we find our hero Bond in Switzerland. Yeah, and he's going to break into this lawyer's office, and I love that scene with that yeah. safe cracking machine, <laughs> yeah. and and the fact that it was all automated. And and while he's waiting, he's kind of bored, so he picks up a Playboy magazine and starts going through the Playboy <laughs> magazine. <laughs> these touches, these touches are, are are fun to watch. It gives you a feeling that they were enjoying what they were making. Yeah, yeah, and he's so calm and collected, even though. He cuts it down so close. I mean, he he gets the safe open, gets the information that he needs, and puts everything away and back the way that it was. Closes and locks the door, and then walks down the corridor. And the guy, the lawyer, like practically walks right by him. I mean, he couldn't have cut it any closer. No, that's that's so true. I remember I read uh, the book. I read the On Her Majesty's Secret Service, <clears throat> and this film is very much like what's the content of that. Uh, book's plot <clears throat> the plot of that book yeah one of the reviews on imdb said that they, this person thought it was the most accurate bond movie to the book like source material and and the portrayal that george lazenby gives of bond is like the most accurate to how ian fleming wrote bond apparently according to this that's reviewer. kind of my takeaway from it too <clears throat> i didn't i did want to mention the uh, swiss lawyer's name gumbold i mean <laughs> 
<laughs> Gumbold. I'm I'm lawyer Gumbold. This got a little bit convoluted in the middle here because it. Okay, so uh, Bond meets Draco, and Draco tells Bond about the lawyer, and then Bond goes and gets some papers from the lawyer, and the papers from the lawyer say that a Blofeld, or it's not even Blofeld, it's like a version of Blofeld, the name is a little bit different, uh, is is trying to get himself situated to take over yes. this count, like the, the, the count, title count of Count Balthazar. De Beauchamp. Beauchamp. <laughs> Come on. Yeah. <laughs> Beauchamp. Okay. Yeah. Beauchamp. <clears throat> Count... <laughs> and, and, then, and then in order to infiltrate Blofeld's hideout, he's going to pretend to be this genealogist. Yes, sir. <laughs> so he has to become an expert genealogy. Sir Hilary Bray. Unusually small from them fellas Polychloris. I wasn't aware that your expertise included lepidoptery. Anyway, what are you doing here? I thought you were on leave. Genealogy, sir. Fascinating subject. I came across a letter from a Gabruder Gumbold, solicitors in Switzerland, to a certain Count Balthazar de Blochamp. De Blochamp? French former Blofeld. You've been relieved from Operation Bedlam 007, do you remember? I assumed you'd reassign me, sir. This is a photostat copy of a letter addressed to our College of Arms in the City of London, with the request that they undertake to establish de Blochamp's claim to the title. And Sir Hilary Bray, he's the sable basilisk of the college, has replied to Gumball, suggesting that he should meet de Blochamp in person. Now, I've already taken the liberty, sir, of working with the college on this, using an examination of my own family tree as cover. I've also been reading up on the technical side of heraldry. Uh, Sir Hilary Bray, please. Commander Bond. Ah, yes, sir. So that should he consent to a meeting, I could act as a representative of the college. And he kind of blows that because yeah, he gives yeah. Blofeld some information that's not correct. But I think Blofeld already saw through that right, ruse anyway. This is where you've got to have your suspension <laughs> of disbelief because they've already met. Blofeld and Bond have already met in another movie. So why didn't he just immediately say, oh, hey, Bond, how's it going? Oh, I got that one covered. He, he, it was the glasses. <laughs> just like, just oh, like in okay. Superman, like yeah. Clark, Kent Clark Superman. would put those glasses on, and everybody was befuddled because <laughs> that was the ability to cloud men's mind, like the shadow, with his glasses. Yeah. See, oh, okay. I, so you okay. could make those segues. Right, nice. <laughs> that works. I think that's called head cannon. That's your head cannon for that. Okay. Uh, I'll I'll buy that. But then, but 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 I but what are the chances that when Bond goes to the hideout that's on the top of this mountain in the Swiss Alps, of course that uh, there's 12 ladies that are there for some sleep-induced hypnotic, like, allergy treatment. <laughs> I found that perfectly normal. I mean, <laughs> it's the middle of winter. <laughs> and the, and they're, called the, they're, they're called the angels of death in, in a lot of articles that I read. Sir Hillary, please come to meet our patients, ladies. This is Sir Hilary Bray, Baronet. He's a famous genealogist. Oh, you will have a drink, yes? Please, Thank come you. and sit down. Yes. I don't know. No. Thank you. What is a baronet? It's a kind of inferior sort of baron. Oh, how disappointing. Well, uh... Oh, I don't mean you're inferior. I mean the title is. Yes, but what's a gyne genealogist? What is that? Pommy word for an old people's doctor. Ah, so he's here to cure for a Wund. Watch you, so she's got ears like an elephant. What will you drink, sir? Malt whiskey and branch water, please. Hey, I'm sorry I was so rude about what a baronet is. You gave a very accurate description. <laughs> sir. Thank you. I say it's a treat having a man here for once. Uh, you mean there aren't any others? Only the staff, and you can't really count them. I mean. We will not discuss the affairs of the clinic. Yes, but what is the genealogist? Will nobody tell me? It would give me great pleasure to tell you. Well? Genealogy is all about ancestors and families. I mean, it could easily be that any one of you here is related to a royal house. If only we could go back far enough to find out. Uh, this is, it's a fun movie. I mean, it's just, it's just like kind of over the edge enough, but it still feels kind of grounded in, in a lot of ways. Like it, it feels more realistic than some of the other movies. 
Well, didn't you like the part where, where Telly Savalas, Blofeld's character, was putting in different cassette tapes with his recorded, with his recorded <laughs> messages? Listen here, number one. Yeah. Go on. No, about the clinic, I mean. Oh. Well, the specialist had me meet Fraulein Bunt in London, and she said I had a very interesting case. How right she was. Oh, Hilly. Oh, bother. No, Hilly. It's part of the cure. Cassette number seven. Number eight. Do you remember when you first came here, how you hated chickens, how you were sick when you even saw one? But all that is over now, for I have shown you how foolish it was, and your cure is nearly done. I have taught you to love chickens, to love their flesh, their voice. Yes, your cure is nearly done, and soon you will go home. hilarious he had he had a whole yes. wall of cassette plates. that was the height of technology in 1969 <laughs> because it, you know at that time oh. it was really big for the eight track tape so this was new stuff well yeah and these these were these were way smaller than eight track yeah he had the give me tape eight it was and oh, his yeah, voice funny and then and the, the light show, too, that he had in the rooms, you know, that was pretty psychedelic. I found that dinner that, that yeah. Sir Hilary Bray went to with all the angels of death and the henchwoman, Irma Bunt. I mean, he, I think he, he just <laughs> looked so out of place, and they were all looking at him. And then one yeah. of them reaches under the table and with her lipstick, and you wonder, what is she doing? So I, I read, and I, again, I'm, this is all stuff I just read on the internet, so I may be wrong, but I read that the, as a joke, some of the crew like heated up this sausage and like put it down there between his legs so that when she reached over to write that number on his legs, she grabbed the sausage. <laughs> you just don't get this kind of stuff on the Disney Channel. No, that was Ruby. Ruby uh, uh, was the angel of death that did that, and she wrote her yes. room number on his leg, and he was wearing a kilt. Yeah, that's an important <laughs> yes. point. Uh, so, <laughs> so he gets up and he gets up and he's like trying to pull his kilt down so that whatever she wrote on his <laughs> leg doesn't like show up as he stands up. And then he figures out a way to get out of his room, which was super easy to do. Yeah. It seemed like everybody knew how to get out of their rooms. Like, that was the least secure setup of any, like, hideout that I could imagine. <laughs> one did it, one of the angels of death got out of the room with a uh, emery board. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> and then Bond was visiting the different girls, which I think apparently gave him away as not being the genealogist because apparently a professor of genealogy wouldn't be interested in all these women like i didn't make that connection but uh <laughs> i guess that they all thought that maybe yeah. he was gay and that they weren't in that he wasn't interested in women but then he was playing it off like well i'll make an exception for you <laughs> you know it's kind of, it's kind of weird. I, I think he, he may have also given himself away because he didn't always wear his glasses yeah true and he made a he did make that slip up about where the yeah, particular it was completely was incorrect I guess yeah I didn't know the answer to that one when yeah. when he brought it up so I didn't know but that whole scene at that hideaway up in the mountain yeah I swear there's like an there's like 45 minutes of the movie 
kind of like two thirds of the way in where they're trying to escape from the hideouts. Yes. <laughs> you know, be or you know, like they they uh, he 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 gets put in that room with the gear works for the the tram, and then he's able to get out of there. And then he gets on, and then and then all the twelve angels of death are being shepherded off the mountain because they're going to go off to their different countries to execute this plan that Blofeld has put together. Which, by the way, was really convoluted <laughs> and probably had sixty different ways it could go wrong. It's a great plan, that, though. Uh, yeah, well, it sounded good on paper, and then and of course Blofeld had the moment where he explains everything yep. to Bond. You know, it's like that's a classic Bond thing. Merry Christmas, 007. I'm Sir Hilary Bray. <laughs> no, 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 Mr. Bond. Respectable baronets from the College of Heralds do not seduce female patients in clinics. On the other hand, they do get their professional details right. The Blochamp tombs are not in the Augsburg Cathedral, as you said, but in the St. Anna Kirsch. Sir Hilary Bray would have known. A small slip. It takes more than a few props to turn 007 into a herald. Take more than cutting off your earlobes, Blofeld, to turn you into a count. I may yet surprise you, but I'm afraid that you have no surprises left for me. I know all about your mission, Mr. Bond. Your colleague, such a keen climber, such a brilliant conversationalist, before he left us. You realize he reported where I am? I doubt that. In any case, no one's going to come to your rescue. In a few hours, the United Nations will receive a Yuletide greeting. The information that I now possess the scientific means to control or to destroy the economy of the whole world. People will have more important things to think about than you. They believe your threat. <laughs> oh, they will. In any case, I have prepared a demonstration. Remember that disagreeable outbreak of foot and mouth disease in England last summer? Well, I shall instruct them in very convincing terms exactly how I arranged that in my capacity has improved since. Allergy vaccines? Bacteria. Bacteriological warfare. With a difference. Our great breakthrough since last summer has been the confection of a certain Vitus Omega. Infertility. Total infertility in plants and animals. Not just disease in a few words, Mr. Bond, or the loss of a single crop but the destruction of a whole strain forever throughout an entire continent. If my demands are not met, I shall proceed with the systematic extinction of whole species of cereals and livestock all over the world. He knocks out a guard and puts on some skis, which just happened to be the yeah. right size with the right binding and everything. Like, And there were several instances where he put on different sets of skis. I'm like, wow, everybody on this mountain wears exactly the same size boot and is the same size as Bond, you know, like weight-wise. That that was a little (laughs) unbelievable, too. I did did like, though, the the part where he was in that gear room for the the Skytram. That had to take a lot of work to get that put together. Yeah, that looked looked real and uh, very dangerous, yeah. It It did. And whoever was doing the stunts looked exactly like Bond from... The angles they were using—they did a great job of matching his uh, Lazenby to the stunt people. Totally, totally. And then, and then Bond skis down this mountain, and then who who decides he's going to follow him? Blofeld yeah. puts on skis and starts going down this mountain with all his henchmen. Insane. Yeah, and then he gets—he finally gets down to this village where he's going to try to lose himself in the crowd, but he's wearing this bright sky blue jumpsuit with ski boots so he kind of stands Plus out he's about, he's about a foot taller than anybody else he's huge yeah but then the henchmen and that one woman who i forgot her name that uh that you like so oh, much oh irma bunt bunt uh, irma bunt, bunt. yeah bunt bunt they, they show up and they start chasing him but then who does he run into at this little swiss village tracy's there who is that? Yeah. Oh, yeah, the Countess. And, and she was actually there because her dad told her where where he thought Bond was, and so she was going to go meet him. And then, and then there's like a whole second act to this escape from the from the hideout because then she puts on skis. No, oh, no, wait. They have that. No, I missed the part where they drive the car and then they go to that that yeah, derby that was, race thing where they're doing nice. the crash up derby. Yeah, right. <laughs> 
that was that was. They crazy. had a lot of they had a lot of little sets of scenes that were that were uh, unusual. Yeah, yeah. It just kept going. I kept looking at the clock, going, "Oh my gosh!" And then there's another part where they escape the the derby race, and then they get stuck in a snowstorm, and they have to spend the night in this little farmhouse barn that just happens to have a an open area in the in the barn for the car. Yeah, big enough for her and car. It, yeah, and then they have a really touching scene. It's it's really a sweet scene between the two of them where uh, he asks yeah. her to marry him. Sorry about the accommodation, Contessa. We should have rung ahead and booked. If only I'd got through to London. Or at least you'd get another chance. But when? Let's get some rest. We'll push on as soon as we can. At least it's dry. went on up there, James? Mm-mm. Her Majesty's Secret Service has stole my job. But there isn't anything you can do about your job at the moment, is there? Mm. Now, why are you thinking about it now? I'm not. Tracy, an agent shouldn't be concerned with anything but himself. I understand. We just have to go on the way we are. Huh. I'll have to find something else to do. Are you sure, James? I love you. I know I'll never find another girl like you. Avenue, Tunbridge Wells. Mm, how about Belgrave Square? Or the Via Veneto, Rome. Pass. Convenient for a two-key. When I go. Handy for the rainiers. I wonder how much they're asking for this place. <laughs> the proper time for this is our wedding night. That's my New Year's resolution. Whatever you say, darling. And that is yours. Good night, Tracy. Good night, James. You know, she doesn't actually say yes, but she basically says yes. And then and then they leave early in the morning, just before the bad guys show up. And then there's another epic chasing down the mountain with Blofeld on skis and like all these bad guys in these like orange jumpsuits and uh, there's an avalanche oh, where no kidding. you get buried in the avalanche there's there's the scene where the, he, he knocks people off this look like a bottomless pit of a cliff that they go off of and yeah it was, it was crazy like that whole I did thing was also just, just to go back to the barn find it very helpful that within the barn there looked like the, uh, there was a bed a two-tier bed that just happened to be there with blankets. 
Yeah, it was like a it was like a really, it was like a rustic Airbnb or something. Yeah, maybe they called ahead and made reservations. <laughs> I don't know. <laughs> it, 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 yeah, the whole the whole time Bond is trying to get word back to London about this plan that Blofeld has, but he's he's foiled kind of by uh, the henchman and by Blofeld, and then okay, so then oh my gosh, and then they capture Tracy and take her back to the hideout. And then Bond yeah. goes back to London and is told by M that he's off this case. Like, well, I told you you're not in on the Blofeld ca- case. And Bond, Bond is like pissed because he's basically pretty much cracked the whole thing. And now he just wants to go back and rescue his fiance and destroy the hideout because they can like can stop the plan from being effective if they destroy the hideout. So then, Draco. who does he go yeah. to? Draco. I was surprised that the uh, <laughs> that all the governments decided to give into the ransom, and and the demands of Blofeld were kind of unusual. Yeah. I just want to read those here so we get them correct. He plans to destroy agriculture using his brainwashed women, demanding amnesty for all past crimes, and that he be recognized as the current Count de Blouchamp. That's that's his ransom demand. Yeah, that's it was it. weird. It was like he didn't even really want money. It okay, was like... well we'll. Do... <laughs> He really wanted to be a count. <laughs> but Draco saves the day. Yeah, so then they, they get these helicopters with all this explosives and these these armed guys, and they, they fly up to the mountain. And the whole time I'm thinking, like, he's working with this crime syndicate boss who he's now engaged to this guy's daughter, and the the English government has completely turned they're back on him. I mean, basically, he's yeah. gone rogue at this point. But 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 uh, in 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 behalf of Draco's defense, many of his businesses were legitimate. Not not all, but many. True. And he had True. a lot of influence because he waved away the Air Force plane, and uh, they just sort of backed away. Remember, he, I don't know, I don't exactly know the dialogue yeah. that he used, but they knew it was Draco. Well, he said that he was on a mercy mission and he was delivering plasma and medical supplies to this town that was flooded in Italy and that he had these really famous media people on board and that why were they chasing him and he was going to make he was going to bring all hell onto them if they didn't leave him alone and the air force pilot was like, "Okay, have a good day. Thanks for letting us know." And then they they have the big battle scene at the top of the mountain. Yeah, that was great. I liked that whole thing. Just the staging of some of these took a lot of time and, and money. Oh, man. Well, and it, and it cost $125,000 to build out, uh, or was it, it was either one hundred twenty-five dollars or $250,000 to build out that place that they were filming. And it, it was actually intended to be a restaurant up there, but they wanted to use it for filming. So they, they built out a helicopter pad, which took like a lot of concrete that they had oh to fly up gosh. there. And, so it was a it was a real place that they were filming, and it was it actually it is or was I'm not sure if it's still there, but it, a restaurant like a rotating restaurant. Wow, I did I didn't read that part, but it, it leads to the success of of uh, Bond and Draco, except yes, except for Blofeld escapes yeah. on a bobsled, <laughs> and they go down they go down that thirty mile long luge course. Wow. That was so unbelievable. I mean, it, the guy, neither one of them knew how to drive those things, I'm assuming. And also, they they weren't even really watching what they were doing because they kept trying to I shoot know. each other. You know, and then there was that scene where Blofeld had the grenade, but then he dropped it inside the, the luge and the bobsled, and it was he just threw it off well, just They, in they time. were very talented. They were world-class skiers and world-class bobsledders. It's amazing. I'm reading the Wikipedia article here as we go through it, and, and the way that they describe it is, the chase ends when Blofeld becomes snarled in a tree branch and injures his neck. How did he not get decapitated at that point? They were He, he got his neck stuck between tree branches <laughs> as he jumped out of the bobsled going at like 70 dude, miles an hour. Dude. <laughs> That leather, that leather headpiece that he wore maybe protected him. I guess. And he may have had a helmet on by then, too. I can't remember. It's, that race down that, that course, though, was amazing. Yeah, it was intense. But, but I felt like that whole, the whole second half of the movie was, was either them skiing off of the mountain, flying back up to the mountain, bobsledding off the mountain. You know, it was, like, it was a lot of time on the mountain. A lot of stuntmen were involved in this baby. And then we don't want to go to the ending. Which we won't talk about because you should definitely just watch it and 
yeah, I don't, I don't even know what to say. It's, it's very different than any other Bond movie uh, in a lot of ways, but especially the ending, I think. Quite a, quite a, quite a different film. I really enjoyed it. I, I definitely want to watch it again. <laughs> it was super fun. And I don't know. There was there was just enough sort of like goofiness and one-liners where he throws off. Where there, there was that one scene where they're skiing down the mountain and the one guy d- doesn't make the jump and he falls down into the thresher of the snow, the giant snowblower. Oh, yes. And then there's like this rain of like red sand, uh, snow that comes out of the nozzle from the snowblower. And then... Bond says he had a lot of guts. <laughs> he had some great one-liners. Yeah, right. <laughs> oh wow. Well, uh, what was your what was your rating on on, on Her Majesty's Secret Service? <laughs> I don't know. It was, I, it's like a nine to me. I think. I think it was it was it was definitely up there in terms of enjoyability and uh, and fun like escapism. And I really liked Lazenby as a as a as a Bond, and I wish I wish we could have seen him in more Bond movies. I think he would have brought something different to the franchise. He sure would have. I, I'm I'm holding at about a seven or an eight, uh, but we're you know it's a, it's a good movie. It's fun to watch. It's not my favorite, but it's it certainly keeps the Bond franchise alive and well. And uh, the agent for Lazenby really misread that one because it. Because they brought they brought yeah, Sean Connery back for the next one, and and the and the series is still going strong, so it certainly didn't die out in the seventies. And well, and the gross from the one they brought James uh, Sean Connery back f- for number seven doubled the amount of gross over this film. So, oh right, they brought him back for a one-off, didn't they? For one for one one more called uh, Diamonds Are Forever. Was that official, like Canon? Was that was that one that he did sort of? No, that no, that's an official one. The one he did later was 1980. Uh, where is it here? He did one that was, I think, 1983. That was one of those two that were done by the other people. Never say never again from 1983. So he came back for that. I think what elevates this movie for me a little bit above like a seven or an eight is is Diana Rigg and what she brought to the film and her strong character. And like the tenderness that she brought to it and the, and the vulnerability, but also she, she wasn't weak and she really held her own with uh, Bond in those scenes and, and really carried some of the movie uh, in, in, in a good portion of it. When, especially the second part where they were run, going down the hill and they had that car chase and then the, the race car derby mm-hmm. chase, you know, scenes and all that was really well done and I really liked seeing her in action for me it's it's like watching a real professional actor when i see her on the screen i could move i could move closer to your rating sure if i also include the character irma bunt there we are yeah there you go yeah and she she was great she really brought a menacing uh presence she was more menacing than blofeld she was more yes she was close to the uh rosa klepp character that we did in our last podcast for sure Good, good film. She was cold-hearted. Yeah, so that was uh, On Her Majesty's Secret Service, and up next is Moonraker, which, man, I'm going to have a fun time watching that and reviewing it. I got the special edition Blu-ray version through Netflix DVD, and I'm going to watch all the special features. <laughs> I do want to, before we forget, thank uh, thank again our, our uh, patron, Arthur Skolko. I'm- yeah, thanks to Arthur Skolko for recommending... Uh, that we do some Bond movies. It was a lot of fun. And I'm not sure that we would have, it wasn't really on our radar to do Bond movies, but I'm glad that we did. No, I'm I'm kidding. After this, after this series of movies, we're going to be switching it up a little bit. And I think you wrote down what we talked about. I I have the next, yes, we're doing Moonraker from 1979. Then we'll follow that up with Orson Welles' Touch of Evil from 1958 with Janet Leigh, uh, Charlton Heston, Wells, of course, and a cast, a great cast, really great cast. And then from 1947, we'll do Crossfire, an excellent movie. Okay. All right, well, coming to you from North Bend, this is Matt. And here in Los Angeles is Bob wishing everybody happy movie watching.